The following audio is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. For more audio and information, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com. Glad you guys could be with us this morning. My name is Pete, and I'm the pastor here. And uh, as you're flipping to Psalm 119, you know, Psalm is the biggest book of the Bible, and Psalm 119, the biggest chapter in that book. And we've been spending our summer working through this chapter and if you're having a hard time finding it, it's usually right smack dab in the middle of your Bible. Uh, if you don't own a Bible and you're with us and uh, you found your way to Holy Cross Church, um, I hope you can find one in, in the seat in front of you in the, in the, in the rack. Please accept uh, one of those Bibles as a gift from us to you. You can take that, take that home with you. It's our gift uh, to you. And I hope you'll, hope you'll enjoy that. Uh, some of them might be a little beat up, so find a nice and shiny one. Uh, you can have that one. Uh, we'll be reading this morning in Psalm 119, 33 to 40. Let's start in verse 33. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding, that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. My kids, like, like is normal if you have children, are, are providing continually, I think, uh, good theological analogies uh, for life, for uh, faith, and both of them, I have a son and a daughter. Our son is almost four, Cohen, and our, and our daughter is just turned two. Her name's Kate. And they have provided a great picture into what dependence looks like uh, in two different ways. Uh, f- and the situation unfolds in this way. When we threaten, and this isn't a good parenting uh, tactic, I don't recommend it, but I know you all do it. It's when we threaten to leave them when we want them to follow us. Okay, uh, so our son Cohen is four, Kate's, almost, uh, Kate's two. Cohen, uh, we're leaving, it's time to come. He doesn't listen to us. Cohen, we're leaving and you're staying here all by yourself, we're turning the lights off and you're going to be alone. And he, the look on his face, the, the dread, the fear, he runs after us with his arms up, please don't leave me, I'm coming. And then Kate, if you've spent any, any time with Kate, you know the response is a little different. Kate, we're leaving. You're going to be all by yourself, and no one's going to come back to be with you. See you later. <laughs> you know, see ya, see ya, wouldn't want to be ya. Don't let the door hit you on the way out. That's Kate. And so I would want to say something to each of them as their father, and, and something different to them. For Cohen, I would say, we, we love you. We're, we wouldn't leave you. We care for you. You can depend on us. We want you to listen to us when we call. We want you to listen when we instruct you. It's for your benefit. But we will never abandon you. We will never leave you. And to Kate, we would say something very different. We would say, sweet Kate, you need us. You are hopeless without us. Kate, you will not make it a moment without us. And you need to realize that. You need to realize that we are your parents and you need us. Even though you do not sense this dependence and sense this need of us, 
it is very, very real. And so they've provided a couple different ways of how I've learned about what does it mean to depend. And so this morning, we, we, you know, we've been working through Psalm 119. We've been talking about how we should feel about God's word. It's the second big question of our summer. What do we feel about God's word? We should depend on God's word. And so I ask you, to what extent do you depend on God and his word? What extent, to what extent do you realize your ultimate dependence on, on him? There are areas of lives where we unknowingly say, thank you, God, for your, for your help. I appreciate you giving me that little boost. I can take it from here. Thanks for entering into that scenario and, and giving me help, but I'm perfectly adequate to take it from here and, and do a good job and, and work hard. Or we might say, God never gives a challenge to a person that he or she cannot handle on their own. And we see that that, that verse is not found in the Bible. If anything, it's the opposite of what we find in Scripture, where Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, Apart from me, you can do nothing. But with me, nothing is impossible. And in Psalm 119, 33 to 40, the Bible describes us in a position of utter dependence on God. A pleading that the psalmist gives, not of a fearful pleading, but an honest one. Not a, a naive one, but a very realistic one. Not an arrogant pleading for God to do something, but a, a humble reliance in every area of life, on God, in his word. And so here's what the psalmist gives us. He shows us that there is not a single area of our life where we are not in a position of utter dependence on God. Utter dependence, thoroughly, in every area of our life. You may have remembered, if, if, if you're new with us, maybe this is new for you, but this Psalm 119 is an acrostic. There's, there's 22 stanzas, each of eight verses each. And there's 176 verses in the whole poem, really. It's a poem. And each stanza represents a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And each line of that stanza, of, of, that, of that section of stanzas, begins with that sound. And so, if for, you know, to translate it for the English, if the, the first one begins with all the letter A, and the first word begins with that sound, and it's pretty brilliant. Well, this one is the letter, it sounds like our letter H. It's the hey sound. It's the it's the sound. Think about it. H is the most helpless sound in all the, the, the alphabet, is it not? I mean, it actually requires, it, it spends the most air. It requires, try to say an, a, a, a word, a, start a sentence first thing in the morning that begins with the letter H. It's like near impossible. You have to find an alternative. You can't, help me is so much effort to say. H is the sound of a beggar. It's the sound of a a needy person. He's saying, help. But what do we need God's word for? What do we depend on God's word for? Because that is what he gets to. Most of our answers would sound a lot like verse 33, right where he starts off. What do we need God's word for? Why do we need the Bible? Well, teach me. Teach me, he says. Teach me so that I can know your rules. And most of us would stop right there. Why is the Bible important? Well, it teaches us how to live. It teaches us instruction. It gives us information about uh, what, the, what a godly person looks like. Teach me. Give me information. 
Most of us boil the Bible just down to that. Information to live by. Live by. But the Bible, the Bible does provide information to live by. It does provide information. But we depend on the Bible for so much more than that. Look at where he goes next. He says, teach me your statutes. But then he says, give me understanding that I may keep your law. God's word is both the teacher and the tutor. If you're struggling with algebra or, or grammar and you go to the classroom to get information, that's from a teacher. They're just spilling out information to you, data. But then a tutor is the one that sits with you and, and helps you understand, helps it really take deep root in your mind and in your heart. Without God's word, we, we miss both. We miss the information, but we also miss what it means. How does this affect my life? How does this stir in my affections, in my emotions? How does this transform my thinking? What does this teach me about God? What does it mean? There's a moment of joy in, that comes over students struggling with algebra. There's a, a moment of joy that overwhelms a, a writer who's struggling with writer's block where they break through that barrier and they, and they say, I've got it. I understand. It's clicking now. The whole heart is flooded. Something clicks. What was foggy is now clear. And this is the prayer of the psalm. Can I understand you in that way? I don't want to just know information and facts about the kind of person I should be. Help me to understand. And he's desiring this. He's depending on God for this to click. That he would understand. Ben Jonson was a contemporary of William Shakespeare, and really a rival of, of William Shakespeare. He was a Renaissance poet, and he says this. He says, he who is his own teacher has a fool for his master. We cannot understand what we do not know. And for this, we depend on God. What this means as it relates to God's word is that we, we need God not only to let us know who he is, but we also need the goodness and grace of God to stir in our hearts and minds so that we can come to understand deeply and truly what that means about God in our life. Therefore, grasping God's word, understanding God's word, is really an indication of something really wonderful. It's an indication that God has already grasped onto us. If we come to a place where our hearts and minds are really understanding God's word, this means that God has revealed himself to us, that he has grasped onto us, because without God, we don't know him. We don't understand him. This is the, the great pursuit of what it means to be a Christian, to grasp onto God who has grasped onto us, to take hold of God who has taken hold of us. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says this when describing that the desires that he desires to be like Christ in all that he does. He desires to come to a place in his life where he doesn't have a self-righteousness of his own, where he's trusting in his own ability or trusting in his own works or his own character, but a place in his life where he's just trusting in God and the righteousness and rightness of Jesus. And he can almost anticipate his readers or his critics' questions, like, well, have you, have you arrived there, Paul? Have you, how is that working out for you? And he says, he says, I haven't attained that yet, but this is what I do. I, I, I long for it. I desire, 
to make it my own. I press on to make it my own because Jesus has made me his own. My desire to know him is because he has made himself known to me. And the psalmist in 119 describes the same. Give me understanding so that I can know you with my whole heart. Let me understand so that I can, with an unfettered, unhindered desire, know you. I bet we would read the Bible much different if we had this perspective. Before you read, think about this. I know that it can be such a labor sometimes to sit down and just to read and to understand, and we say, I don't know what's going on in here. But before you read, ask God not only for information, but ask Him for understanding that fills not only your head, but your heart with a grasping of what it truly means to know Him and what His Word really means for your life. And then, when you come to a place of understanding, when you are starting to see that it is clicking, that it's making sense, that you are able to to receive something of, of great value from it, and you're thinking, I'm learning, I'm getting this, I'm encouraged, I'm comforted. I know something now today that I didn't know yesterday. It is because God, in His gracious love, is giving you that understanding. God directs us to himself and this is and this kind of understanding is the is the spring of spiritual activity with our walk with God. This is what it looks like to have a walk with God where he is giving us his understanding. He is teaching us. He is opening our hearts and minds. And we are receiving that and saying this is good. I get this. I'm learning. If you've ever felt, God, I want you to, can I feel your activity in my life? You've ever been in that place where you have wanted the activity of God, the presence of God? You may have read the, the Bible and, and seen stories of people, and you say, wow, why can't I have that kind of connection with God? It seemed like God was so present in their life, and God was acting, God was moving, and it was evident. Why can't we have that? God's Word is not only the content of that activity, but it's also the context of God's activity in our life. It is here in God's Word where we, where we know Him, where we see that activity, where we grow, where we have this sense of God's presence in our life, where we can come to a place and say, God is working in me. God is changing me. He's transforming me. He is showing me His love. And I am a different person having grasped these things. If you desire the activity of God in your life, we must depend on God's word and go to it because there we see God's understanding. And then in verse 35 to 37, we see three needs that are related. He says, lead me, lead me in the path of your righteousness, incline my heart to your testimonies, and turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. And so he is saying, okay, now put me on that path. Show me which way to go. Teach me so, and, and so that I can learn and understand. And now having understood, put me on that path. Put my feet on that way to go so I can walk in your ways. And he acknowledges a couple of things. He realizes, now just because I am seeing that way to go, 
God, there are things that distract me from that path. My eyes wander. I am prone to selfish gain. I think about myself all the time. And it's here the psalmist shows us that we depend on God's word because this, the Christian life includes an incredible amount of fatigue. Isn't this true? It's just like the Christian life is just marked with weariness, with fatigue, with, with tiredness. You've seen when horses have blinders on their heads. I saw this actually this, this past week, and it's always an odd thing to see, and you wonder why that is there. You know, horses naturally have their eyes on the sides of their head. They're, they're animals of prey, which is weird. I mean, who eats a horse? And, and so they have a peripheral vision. And, and I learned that, I don't know if this is true, but I learned that it's actually a pastor who designed and, and invented blinders for horses. He had this friendly wager with a friend. He said, I bet my horse can walk up that flight of stairs. And, he, and his friend said, you're on, man. And so his horse just galloped up the stairs. And then his horse was at the top of the stairs, and he said, okay, now, horse, come on down. And the horse wouldn't come down. Sensing the fear, sensing the, the distance, sensing the, the, the where he had to go, he was terrified. And so this pastor made this, these little blinders for his eyes to block out his peripheral vision, and the horse went down the stairs. And we know that today. This is why they have blinders, because they're so distracted. It's to focus them ahead. And there are two things the psalmist shows us that distract someone who is pursuing the Lord and desiring to know Him and understand Him and, and, and sense His activity in our lives. Our eyes look in two places. One, it looks to ourself, and it looks to our stuff. That's what he says. He says, keep me from selfish gain, from thinking about myself, and keep me from looking at worthless things, things of this world, things that perish, things that break apart and are perishable. The earth casts, uh, when the sun is, is, is behind the earth, the earth casts a shadow on the moon. And when we look at the moon, it's, it's a crescent. Often we see it as a crescent. And elsewhere, the psalmist sees himself as, as the moon who's trying to gaze upon God and he sees just a part of God because it is he that is in the way of seeing God in, in all of his love and all of his beauty. It is, it is himself that is getting in the way of really knowing God. Because his heart is, is divided. His heart is wandering. His eyes look at other things. And we cannot see God clearly when we are preoccupied with ourselves. And so we depend on God's word to speak to those affections, to speak to those loves, to speak to those distractions, to keep us focusing and straining towards Jesus. And we see this struggle all throughout the Bible. And I know that you have have seen it also in your life. Why do we, you may have said this, why do I keep doing that? I hate that I do that. I know better. Why do I keep forgetting? I know I don't want to be that kind of person. I know that that is not the guy I want to be. I know that is dishonoring. Why do I find myself in this place every single time? And then we, we say, I hate that I am that way. I know which way to go, but I keep finding myself wandering from it. Well, Paul answers us this question in, in Romans chapter 7. And these are, his, these are his words. He says, you keep doing this. You and I keep doing this, and he keeps doing this. And I quote, 
because you are a pathetic human being. <laughs> don't, be, don't be mad at me. That's what Paul says. He says, I'm a wretched man. And that's what that means. He says, I'm, I'm a pathetic person. And then he says, but thanks be to God through Jesus Christ who rescues us from our pathetic state. God, through his word, rescues us, guides us, sustains us, governs us, empowers us. God's word, if we truly depend on it, will reorder our loves. It will show us how much we truly look at ourselves and our well-being, and it will turn our eyes to life that is found in God. That's what our psalmist says. Keep me from these things so that I can have life in you. We depend on God not only to show us the way to go, but to actually give us the courage and power and acceleration to move forward in that way. One way to depend on God's word is to depend on it like we depend on on energy drinks, on energy shots for long-distance runners. Sometimes there is a specific and immediate need for something like that. We need to be pointed to the word in a specific place for an immediate encouragement, an immediate comfort to convict us, to encourage us, to lift our head in that moment. And these are good things. When I find that anger is, is welling up in my heart, I need to remember James 1.19, let every person be quick to hear, s- slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of a man does not produce the righteousness of God. I need this pearl on this string that shows me this, this pointed verse. When I am worried, I need to remember 1 Peter 5, humble yourselves, therefore under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So when I am worried, when I am anxious, I need to go to that verse and say, he cares for me. But these are energy shots, not meals. And if we are to be mature, if we are to grow into maturity, healthy over time, equipped to handle all that, is, that God has called us to be responsible for, we need real nutrition. Real nutrition that is consumed, digested, repeated, Jesus says this in Matthew 4. I want to read a couple of these verses. Jesus is fasting for 40 days. He's very hungry. 40 days and 40 nights he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It is a temptation to go to God's word like it is an energy shot, and thinking that this, these energy shots, these energy gels can give us real health. He says, I don't need a boost of energy. I need to feast on God. We need the Bible if we're to be healthy Christians. We need the Bible because the Bible builds us up so that we can endure suffering. The Bible gives discernment for difficult choices in life, whatever we're facing. The Bible gives us strength to answer those who hurt us unjustly or unfairly. The Bible gives us compassion to serve those in need that are maybe difficult to serve. The Bible equips us to discern truth from falsehood. 
The Bible is important. We need it. We depend on it. The difference between spiritual growth and, and physical health is one to, one to look at. You know, when you're a child, there's a great need for certain nutrients and resources and, and certain vitamins. Saul Billboard this weekend said that 90% of the brain is, is developed by the time you're five years old. So in those early years, there's a, importance, a certain importance, a particular importance for nutrition and health. And then as you grow, as you know, there's more of a, a, an emphasis on maintenance and, and keeping bones strong and things like that. Things that will boost help, help memory loss or eyesight weakness. We cannot think of our relationship with God in the Bible like this. Thinking that we get all this nutrition at a certain point in our life. And then we just maintain that relationship. That we come into relationship with Jesus. Maybe it was a time when you became a Christian. Maybe there's a point in your life where you said, this is where I became a Christian and I learned. Like, I got all this nutrition and learned all these new things about God, about Jesus, about the Bible. And now I'm really coasting on that nutrition. But here's the wonderful thing about God's Word. We never outgrow the Bible. We never get to a place spiritually where we have said, Boy, I am full. We never get to a place that says, well, I, my, my bones are strong as they need to be. So now I just need to maintain that. We can never outgrow the Bible. The Bible always means to make us grow. That means that the, great, that the Bible is, is depended on as much for the child and the, the, the scholar who has spent his entire life Learning the Bible. The Bible means to make us grow. And we need it. And without it, we are not growing. Lastly, dependence on God is the essence of a Christian faith. You know, what we have learned about in previous weeks going through this, this chapter is that the Bible is incredibly practical. Uh, it tells us who we are. It tells us why we exist. It, it tells us where we are going. It tells us about love, about marriage, about happiness. It tells us about sorrow and grief. But most importantly, the Bible tells us about sin and forgiveness, about Christ and the cross, about how we are lost and how it is that we are found. God loves us enough to give us his words that tell us what he thinks about us. And this is where the final verses point to in, this, in our passage in 38 and 39. Look at this. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. It says, confirm your promise to me that I may be feared. This is interesting. Keep reminding me of your promise so that I could fear you. You know, in the Old Testament, we see a lot of God's promises are connected with fear of the Lord. We see that language in the Old Testament a lot. And in the New Testament, we see a lot of God's promises linked with faith, and so we see a lot of that language. But the truth is, these two are so closely related. They are identified with one another. By faith, we receive the promise of God. His forgiveness, His love, His, his substitute, His life for ours. And this will instill in us a godly, reverent, holy fear of Him. So the psalmist is saying, I know how bad I am. I know how much I have wandered. I know that I'm that pathetic 
human being who is selfish and often distracted. But your love is everlasting. So keep me in that place. Let me have a good and reverent and holy fear, never forgetting who I am and never forgetting what you have done for me. And so, this, so his faith looks like this. Oh Lord, I am your servant, he says. I would rather be with you than without you. I plead with you that this awe and fear of your love and the understanding of my need and dependence on you would never escape my heart and mind. He is devoted. He devotes himself to a healthy fear of God. And this is very good. And it promotes in him this very healthy confidence for his salvation. It says, remind me again of your promise that all who trust in you, remind me again of your righteousness. Remind me again of your goodness in spite of who I am. Remind me again. Keep this close to my mind. What do you believe about what makes you right with God? Because that's the important question. What do you believe about what makes a person right with God? There's there is one loud message, and if there is one loud message in all the scripture, it is this. You cannot save yourself. And it is only through the word of God that we come to find confidence for when we actually do fail. It is God and God alone who pours new life into us. It is God who lets us know who He is. It is God alone that gives us understanding that fills our hearts to know Him. It is God and God alone that confirms His promise to us, His faithfulness to us, His forgiveness to us. It is God and God alone that helps us, give us the focus to look at Him and not wander from His ways. And so look at this whole poem, this whole stanza where he says, teach me, give me, incline me, lead me, turn my eyes, confirm to me, turn away. So he's like this child as I saw my daughter run up to me this morning where she says, up, up, up. It is David saying, help me, save me, comfort me. And then lastly, he says, behold. So he's saying, hello, I am here. I need you. I am lost without you. This is what saves us. And he says, I long for your precepts. And then he says, in your righteousness, give me life. I am so glad that he doesn't say, behold, I need you in your, in, I long for your precepts. In my righteousness, give me life. I am so glad that he doesn't say, because of my good, because of my work, because of my longing. Give me life. But he looks at God and he says, because of your righteousness, I am satisfied. I depend on you. There can be two kinds of longing, and we see this in the church among people who claim to be Christians all the time. And it's important to know the difference and it's important to see what the psalmist really has, what kind of longing he has. There is an outward kind of mechanical kind of longing that desires God's word and devours God's word and eats it up and reads it every day because that person wants so badly to be a better person, to be like Jesus, to have this 
outward change of life. And they're agonized by the, the reality that they are not a great person, and so they want to be better. And so they go to God's Word and they say, make me a better person. Let me turn over a new leaf and change something in my life. But then there is the true believer, the believer like the psalmist in our passage that understands the temptation to wander from God's truth but considers the pleasure of putting to death sin in his life far greater than any of those temptations. And rather than being burdened by God's word, delights in it, depends on it, desires it. He, he, his heart breaks for it. Dependence on God is the pulse of the Christian heart. He depends on God's word like it is air, like it is food, for without it, he dies. And he says, behold, see. He is saying emphatically, when I look at myself, I am utterly disappointed. But when I look at you and your righteousness, I am satisfied. This is the heartbeat of a true believer. The heartbeat of a person who has come to know and understand and depend on Jesus. A person that looks at him and says, you are my hope, your work, your promise, your life and death and resurrection, your life being poured into me. That is my hope and nothing else. I come to you with nothing else but my need for you. This is a believer. This is a Christian who apart from the righteousness of God is hopeless. Do you depend on God? Do you depend on His Word? Are you satisfied by looking at His righteousness? And the Bible says that His righteousness, His position with God, is imputed to us and credited to us and given to us by faith alone. There's no amount of merit There is no amount of work. There is no amount of character development that we could utter a phrase like this, in my righteousness, give me life. Because we are all hopeless. We all fall short. But in Christ, by trusting in Jesus, we are as secure in the Father's love as Jesus Christ himself. Immovable, secure, loved, accepted. So do you depend on God? Do you depend on his word? Would you go to his word? Would we continue to have this increased desire to go to his word, not for energy shots, but for food, for meals, knowing that we need it for all of life? Let's pray.